I define culture as the unwritten yet commonly shared set of beliefs that guide behavior. And when you have that, you're impacting beliefs, which ultimately influence behavior. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I want to stop and I want to take a moment to welcome you into our Kelly family and let you know that this podcast exists for you. So if you're an organizational leader who's wrestling with a current topic that you're trying to navigate through, maybe you're trying to work through some culture changes, maybe you're trying to work through some personnel changes, maybe you're just trying to jump into business for the very first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you want to know what's trends are happening from our faculty, what research is going on, maybe where to look in toward the future. Another reason for us to connect, or you know of an individual who would make an awesome guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod. That's ROIPod at IUPUI.edu. Again, ROIPod at IUPUI.edu. Well, as we know, as organizational leaders, when we say the word culture, it is a loaded word that could mean almost an infinite number of things, I think, at this point. And, you know, with with even though culture is one word, there is definitely not one approach or one answer to defining successful cultures, to implementing successful cultures, to even getting a grasp of what successful culture and how do we get there? I mean, we can take it from so many different angles and get so many different results, but that's one of the beauties of leadership. That's one of the beauties of business is we get to constantly look to how do we as individual organizations, as individual people work to build a culture that is contagious, work to build a culture that is all about helping others grow. So that's the focus today. We are going to take another dive, another pass at culture. As I'm honored to be joined by Andrew Adeni, an IU Kelly School of Business alum and author of the book, The Circle of Leadership, a framework for creating and leveraging culture. Andrew, welcome to the ROI podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's our honor to have you and, you know, congrats on the release of this book. I know, I mean, I don't know personally, but I can only imagine the work that it goes into it. So anyone that puts out and publishes a book, hats off, absolutely fantastic. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's kind of like giving birth to a baby, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, or, or maybe graduating is another way to kind of look at it, right? Because you spend all this time really just pouring into something, nurturing something, and uh, at the end of the day, you you have a finished body of work that you're proud of and you can stand on. And I'm very fortunate to have that in my book, The Circle of Leadership. So thank you. So let's dive into that. You know, you did all this hard work on culture and the importance of it and how to get there. So take us back to, you know, a little bit about your background, a little bit about your uh, history and kind of what set up the idea that this book needed to come to light. Yeah, yeah. So most of my background is in retail operations and, and consulting. And early on in my career, I worked for an international retailer. And one of the divisions I worked for uh, in Indiana was one of the best in the country. And I became accustomed to that type of culture, that leadership. We 
performed very well. And then I had the opportunity to go across the country to work in a not so good division within the same company. And I quickly realized that it was almost like a completely different company. And I started to really dig in and try to figure out what differentiated my original division from this other division. And what I found was its leadership and its culture literally was, was at the bottom of why one division could flourish and the other one could be um, you know, pretty poor, for lack of better terms. <laughs> You know, and that's one thing interesting because, you know, with leadership, it's it's one of those things I feel is you can you can measure it almost. You can at least get a better sense of leadership. I mean, you just emulate someone that has been a great leader in your life, you know, and that you just say, like, okay, cool. Like that person coached me, talked to me this way, did these actions that made them a great leader and I want to emulate. However, culture is one of those, it's a nuance. I mean, it's not, there's, you can't physically hold it. You can't physically touch it, grab it, interact with it other than, you feel it. You feel it within an organization. You know, so talk about some of the challenges you've you've uncovered, you know, through that journey. When you're looking through the lens of culture, you know, how how did that start to open your eyes to some of those nuances uh, of culture? You know, that's a great question. I always like to view culture as, you know, well, first let's define it, right? I think that's a good thing to anchor us in. A lot of definitions out there for the sake of my book and this conversation, I define culture as the unwritten yet commonly shared set of beliefs that guide behavior. And I like that definition because it's typically unwritten. So in terms of discovering a culture, it's not tangible. You typically can't, you can't touch a culture, right? Uh, you feel it's unwritten, yet it's commonly shared. That means without touching something or maybe even any type of formal process, everyone knows it's there and we all abide by its principles. And when you have that, you're impacting beliefs, which ultimately influence behavior. So it's so powerful because you have something that has the ability to impact behavior, which we know impacts results. So that's the definition that I like to work off of. And it's, it's an intangible. That's one of the tension points in my book. A lot of leaders tend to focus on numbers and products and services and your emails and, and all these different factors that consume your work week, but don't spend nearly as much time trying to foster and promote an excellent culture, which has shown to be able to, to provide a competitive advantage. Or, you know, on the opposite side, almost tend to just ignore it because they A, don't know what to do with it, B, don't know how to approach it, or C, are just totally clueless yet as organizational leaders that listen to this and tune in know, whether you're a part of any organization, culture does not live inside of a vacuum. You know, if if you as an organizational leader aren't taking the charge of it, something or someone else will, whether you want them to or not. That's just the nature of the beast. And I think that's probably why a lot of organizationals or organizations have that negative culture about them, that un unpleasantness just in the air that you can't pinpoint, but you just know is there. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest stories I share in my book to kind of kick things off is a story called the $6,000 egg. And it really talks about how if you continue to neglect culture or you don't pour as much time into it as you should, you can, it's going to hurt your bottom line and it's going to hurt the tangibles, right? And the book is really just based off of Todd and Deb Duncan, a couple that frequently visits this restaurant in Southern California from their business and personal dining, they estimate that roughly $6,000 a year was spent at this particular restaurant. And one, uh, one day they went to the restaurant and they were unable to get an egg put on their burger. Now it wasn't a menu item, but they saw the, the waffle and eggs was the special for the day. So they knew they had them. 
So they asked their server, can we get an egg on the burger? That person had to go check ultimately to tell the couple they couldn't do it. They asked another server the same question, just thinking they may get a different response. Same thing. Sorry, we can't do it. By the time they wanted to talk to the manager, manager comes out, arms folded, uh, you know, frown on her face. And her first words were, so I understand you have a problem. So he went on to basically try to get some clarification on why can't you put an egg on my burger? She goes on to say that they only bought enough eggs to go with the special. And if they started deviating from that, they would run out of eggs. So not only did Todd and Deb Duncan leave that restaurant disgruntled that they couldn't get a simple egg that cost a matter of cents on their burger, they were thinking about such a bad business decision and such a poor culture to where they didn't want to say yes to the customer and ultimately cost them a lot of money. So let's get into, you know, the heart of your book. You know, I think that's an amazing story. And I think if we all take a step back and just even think of maybe the last, um, you know, phone call we had to have with maybe a customer service representative, or maybe we can walk into a business and someone's sitting at the front door and they don't greet you. They're on their phone. They're not, they don't even make eye contact with you. I mean, I think we all have stories or situations where you can feel that, okay, I wouldn't want to work here. There's something wrong about this place. Or like this instance, we've gone to somewhere so many times and asked for something simple, yet they say, I'm sorry, we can't do it. But really they can. You know, so let's get into, because I want to answer, you know, how do we get, you know, and start working on building, rebuilding those cultures. But before we get to that, we need to understand, you know, what is included in a successful culture. So walk us through, you know, the, the framework of your book. So Deloitte did a study where they showed that uh, only 12% of executives believe the organizations are fostering the right culture, which is very terrible, which really was part of the research that led to me figuring out how do you take a a culture from scratch, make it good, or improve an existing good culture or turn a struggling culture around. And what I landed on was what I call the three P's of culture, and that's purpose, people, and process. And when we start with the first P, which is purpose, we're really talking about why are we here? We're talking about your mission statement. We're talking about your vision statement. We're talking about your set of core values. When you have those things that really make up your why, they help you decide what you're going to do as an organization. But maybe more importantly, they help you understand and decide what you're not going to do. And that is critical for the some of these organizations that we know of to have really good, really good culture, such as uh, Disney, Southwest Airlines. Um, those are some of the things that that they all have in common as well. Very strong purpose. But you know, I think it's uh, I'd like to add too. It's not simply having those things. It's I think it's even maybe even another level of that deep belief in those things because I've been a part of organizations that have purpose or you know their vision, their mission statement, and yet. That's all it is. It just lives. It's like words on a wall. And, you know, we don't live by them, but we have them because it checks that. Oh, I'm a business. Check. Got to have that, you know, and talk about the importance of that belief and, you know, how that is a make or break when it comes to really getting into a foundation of great culture. Yeah. You're exactly right. You can't just throw those things on the wall and think we're good. We got the first P, right? We got our purpose down. No, it's got to literally exude from people. It's got to, there's an aura that should exist where people really believe in the mission that they're called to do as an organization. Uh, There should be so much alignment, in fact, to where even if you didn't work for that organization with that mission, you're still going to be living your life, uh, you know, really in conjunction with that mission or very aligned with that regardless, right? 
And when you have that alignment and what you believe as an individual and what you believe as an organization, that's where you have loyalty. That's where you have retention and just strong performance. So you've got to make sure that you're hiring based off your mission and values and your mission, vision and core values. You got to make sure that you're promoting and and you're really living up to those values. Leadership needs to really embody those values. So you're exactly right. We're, we're not just talking about scratching the surface here with purpose. Like, oh, I got a mission statement. Check. No. Is your mission statement compelling? Is it one of the first things everyone in the organization would go to if they're describing the company? Do you have a vision statement that really makes people want to get up out, out the bed in the morning on a Monday morning and go out and get it? You know, I, I like to talk about Nike. They like to bring their, their vision is to bring innovation and inspiration to every athlete in the world right? Nike is a powerhouse company. We all know it, right? But they haven't accomplished that vision yet. They define an athlete as anybody who has a body. Have they inspired and brought innovation to every single person in in the world? No, they haven't. They may be close, but they haven't done that yet. So there's still work to be done. And that's what a true vision statement is going to do. It's going to be compelling. It's going to be engaging. And I think that's a really interesting perspective on vision. I mean, it's almost like it's always this close to grasping, but you never do grasp it like like a carrot in front of a horse. You know, like it keeps you going. But if you were to grab it and consume it, well, then, all right, well, what's our purpose of existing anymore? We accomplished our vision. All right, that's it. Close the doors, everyone. Like we're going home. You're exactly right. But we haven't accomplished that vision. And, and that's why we keep going. But the problem is a lot of those visions are inspiring people. They're not engaging people and they're not aligning with people in their soul. And that brings up your second point. You know, you said the next P is, is people. You know, so talk about the people in this context, you know, like the people of the organization and how that relates into making sure, you know, we get a great solid foundation built on culture. When it comes to people, everyone says people are our greatest assets. Everyone talks about from an organizational lens, we prioritize our people, but few actually do it, right? The, the, the goal of prioritizing people is people even over profit. Like it's how do we pour into people knowing that that will get us results instead of expecting results and having this mentality with our, with our people where they're not truly family, they're, they're really not, uh, they don't have a sense of ownership or true stake in the organization. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about really getting people who are bought in and who are invested. And to do that, you've got to slow down with the hiring process, step one, okay? You, you, you don't just go marry somebody after the first date, but in the hiring process, we will have a quick interview. We'll be in a bind. And all of a sudden we brought somebody on the team who shouldn't have even made it to a first, a first interview. Right. And then that causes damage. We've got to slow down, get to know people that we're bringing into the organization and then pour into them. There's a lot of companies where they may pour into somebody and spend a lot of time getting to know them. Then they start on day one. You, you know, they forgot about them. It's kind of sink or swim. <laughs> Talk. I mean, that, and that's an important piece. I think that pouring into aspect, like you said, I think there there is a tendency for organizations, especially well-established organizations, to think about people simply as a means of getting things done. You know, you bring people on to accomplish a task. You're like, that's it. Like, you're a cog in a machine, and we're going to fit you into your role, and then you're just going to churn, churn, and churn. To either A, you break, uh, you know, B, you're just outdated and need to be up replaced or, you know, fill in the blank for whatever reason. Uh, but I think that 
that lens to give over the long run less productivity, you know? So, so talk about how do organizational leaders like look into pouring into their team? You know, how do you, how do you organizational leaders as they try to defend their culture? Because that's ultimately what, what they're supposed to do. How do they defend their people along the way and pour into them? Yeah. Well, Jim Collins said it best and good to great, right? It's the bus analogy. You got to be very intentional with who you bring on the bus, make sure they're in the right seats and be diligent about getting people off the bus that don't need to be there. That's the first thing as a leader you need to do, because if you keep bringing these people on the bus that are causing this commotion, you're never going to get to where you want to get to because it's the people on the bus that's ultimately going to get you there. Right. So I would say that that's step one. Another thing to keep in mind, especially in today's climate, is diversity and inclusion. That's got to be woven into the, your culture, woven into the, the fabric of your organization. People have to feel like they're seen, they're heard, they're valued at work, and they have to feel like they can be their true authentic self. If you're not doing that, it's literally hurting your bottom line, employee engagement, and every other KPI you could probably imagine. So if we spend our time really making sure we're bringing the right people on the bus, we're putting them in the right position to thrive, we're pouring into them by making it, making it an inclusive culture, a diverse a culture. And then we start talking about training and training is another component of the people aspect where it's, Hey, does your training plan and program align with your mission and your values and your, and, and your, and your vision, right? And your, all those things, the why we just spoke about that should permeate through everything else that you do as an organization, including training. So that brings us to the third P, which is the process. And now, like culture, we hear process a lot in organizations. I mean, process, uh, it can be another loaded term that can mean a number of different things. So let's start with how you define process in this context. And then let's talk about how that is put into, um, you know, the foundation of culture. Yeah, process is really just how, how are things done? How are things handled routinely and consistently within the organization? that certainly will impact your culture and the morale of the team. The way I talk about uh, process, if you wanna drill it down, is really simplifying your processes wherever possible. Uh, but specifically, when we're, you know, carrying on with training and development and then delegation and accountability. So when it comes to training and development, we talked a little bit about how you pour into that person as soon as they come on board and continue to do so. There's also that development piece. The development is how do you make sure somebody is consistently challenged and they're encouraged to continue growing. You know, I've probably done thousands of interviews in, in my career. And one of the top reasons people typically leave a job or want a particular job is typically centered around growth, lack thereof or opportunity to grow. So if you're doing that in-house, you're going to minimize how many people are leaving because of that. And then delegation is just trust. Delegation is just trust, empowering people to make decisions. In the $6,000 egg story we talked about, imagine if that manager gave the autonomy and the power and responsibility to those first servers to address it, to figure out a way to be able to say yes. It would have been a completely different situation that would have impacted the numbers, but we're talking about culture here and intangible, right? And then lastly is accountability. Just that extreme ownership mentality of if anything goes wrong at the company, the leader should take responsibility. Yeah, either you shouldn't have brought them on the bus to begin with <laughs> or you weren't clear in your expectations. You didn't supervise along the way. Whatever it is, you messed up. And if everyone in the organization has that type of 
uh, perspective and approach, you're going to have a high accountability organization, which I guarantee you is going to have a really good culture and get really good business results. And I'm so glad you said that because one of the one of the principles that you know we always believe here on the podcast, and I love restating it again and again, is we believe an organization is only as good as the individuals who make that organization up, especially the leaders. And if a leader or an organizational leader wants to make that change or wants to improve or do something, they themselves have to have to be the ones that embrace that, that exemplify that, and then coach others into how they can continue that on instead of saying this this is the 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 law now this of our company you're doing it forget about what i'm doing but you must do it you know that doesn't get results so i'm so glad um you know you brought that part up you know i think you said something interesting about about trust because i think for a lot of organizational leaders that tends to be a very tough spot because so many organizational leaders have put so much work and time and effort into building this organization to where it is at this moment. And when you bring someone else in that you, you know, you, you know a little bit about, but you don't fully know what they're going to do, or they don't do it the way that you specifically would do it. They tend to pull back. They said, okay, you know what? That's as far as you're going to go. I'll take it from here. You know, so, so how do organizational leaders begin to loosen that grip, you know, when it comes to uh, the process and, and getting people excited to be, um, to be able to add to the culture as a whole? Yeah, so these P's are very interrelated, obviously. And we got to go back to people here. If you're a small business owner and you are struggling to let go of the reins a little bit to somebody, how much time did you spend making sure you brought the right person on board? Because if it was the right person and you spent enough time knowing that they would take care of your baby, you wouldn't have as big of an issue extending trust. But you probably didn't spend enough time and now you're even questioning it right more than you probably should so i would say that's that's number one as a small business owner and number two we're not saying to give the whole business up on day one they've got to earn and and show that they can handle the level of freedom you're giving them but you've got to start somewhere that can be with a project that can be with an important call that can be with some important task that shows that hey if they can do this over and over again i can now expand the amount of responsibility I give them, and I don't have to supervise them as closely. Anything you delegate must be supervised, but you can still do it at a little bit of a distance once they've proven themselves. So let's get into what do you, where do you start? Because for, you know, like your instance, for, for example, you, you said that you were part of a great organization, but yet some, there was culture differences. You know, one, one place you were at with the culture was great within the same company, you go to a different location and the culture, yeah, you know, a little, little shaky, maybe not the, the best place to be, you know, and for a lot of organizational leaders who find themselves, let's say in an organization there, the culture is not the greatest but they know something needs to change. How do you consult them into starting this process and where do you even begin? You go back to the first P. And before that, you understand the value that culture and leadership plays in your organization. Assuming you have that understanding, you go to the purpose. Why are we here? Why are we here? Why do we exist? Why are we doing what we're doing? What is it? And, and going back to that point is, is, is vital for success. So I would encourage leaders to start there. Go back, dust up your mission, your vision, your values, and go around and ask, ask your team how many people can recite it. If nobody can recite it. That's not, you know, it's non-existent. And you need to start there because why are we having this meeting today? What are we doing here? What are we trying to solve? 
what does success look like? So that that's honestly step one, understand the value that's there, understand you have a problem and there's a gap between where you're at, where you want to be, but ultimately start from the ground level of why are we here? And uh, that goes to, you know, the, the next thing is, is then that retention piece, because obviously you mentioned it earlier, if you're not part of an or great organization, if you're not part of an organization that has a strong culture, a, a culture that's built on trust, and you know, you feel like you have an opportunity to grow, I mean, you're going to look for other places. It's just, it's just natural. You know, you're all, you're going to jump on LinkedIn, you're going to jump on, you know, Indeed or wherever you job search and just to see what else is out there at a company that you know you want to be. Um, so, so talk about how important, you know, like culture is and even retaining talent because another big buzzword is talent, talent shortage, or we can't get the, can't get the right people or we can't get, you know, great people. It, just talk about the importance and symbiotic of those two principles. Yeah. So Chris Hogan, a Ramsey personality, Dave Ramsey personality, he, he used this acronym AIR. And he said, as leaders, it's your responsibility to give your team AIR, not oxygen, but appreciation, inspiration, and recognition. And if you're consistently pouring into your team by appreciating them, finding ways to inspire them, and then recognizing their efforts, people are going to do well. There's this misconception with a lot of leaders out there where it's like, I can't give too much appreciation, too much recognition, because then they're going to stop doing it. It's the exact opposite, right? I got a, I got a toddler right now. We're potty training. We get upset because he wouldn't use the potty. Zero, he would use the potty maybe one out of 10 times. We put some positive reinforcement and, and gave him a popsicle after the fact and encouraged him 10 out of 10 times, literally overnight. It was <laughs> just a real world case study of just the power of appreciation, recognition, and incentivizing things, making it more positive. So I would tell leaders that when we talk about culture, good cultures lead to higher productivity, they lead to more retention, and they ultimately lead to a better uh, workplace environment, which is going to increase employee engagement. So when we talk about recognition and and appreciation, inspiration, you're going to see those things show up in the numbers if you're doing it well. You know, one one story I'd love for you to share that was part of your book uh, that we we spoke about before this interview is Bob at Pepsi. You know, I'd love for our audience, you know, to to hear that story because I think that that proves this point. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. So David Novak, the one of the former uh, CEOs of Yum Brands, he wrote a book and talked about his experience when he was an executive at Pepsi, and he wanted to figure out who the best uh, sales or merchandiser was within the organization. So he went to one of the plants and they brought all the leaders in, sat around the table and he asked, who's the best person that we have? And unanimously, everyone at the table were all saying Bob. Bob by far, he's amazing. He grows sales, the displays he makes are phenomenal. They're all singing his praises. Well, David looks down the table because Bob's sitting at the table and he's just crying uncontrollably. And he says, Bob, everyone here is singing your praises, telling you about how great you are. And you're over here sobbing, like, what's going on? And he said, I'm about to retire. I've worked here for decades. And I've never known that my, my team or other people felt that way about me. And I think that rings so true at times in organizations where, you know, you feel like you're giving your all. You feel like you're giving your best yet it goes so unrecognized. And I I think there's something to that story that hits the heart of, you know, why do people get up in the morning? Why even, why even bother getting up to this job that I'm working J-O-B instead of a a career that I'm excited to be a, a part of, which is a totally another topic, but it does relate into the idea of culture. 
you know, so I'll, I'll, as we begin to to wrap up, you know, I want to uh, for you to just share some encouragement because obviously when you're talking cultural changes, it's hard work. I mean, like starting a business is hard work. Changing culture is equally, if not more difficult, you know, so talk about the encouragement you would give as a consultant when, when organizational leaders are going to try, they're going to incorporate the three P's, they're going to get into the, in, into the trenches and really start working, but they're going to meet resistance. Things are not going to go their way. And it's going to seem like, like the culture is going to take forever to finally change. You know, how do you encourage organizational leaders to push through? Yeah. Yeah. So great question. So I, I interviewed professor uh, Phil Powell, Kelly School of Business. So uh, I know his connection with, uh, with, with Kelly School and, and the podcast. And when I was interviewing him, he said, for one piece of advice for leaders, fail fast, fail forward. And I interviewed tons of people from my book, did a lot of research, but those words and that statement hit home the most for me because there's a lot of things that it's saying without saying directly such as you need to create an environment where people can fail comfortably. You need to have a perspective of failure that you're failing forward. You're progressing because of the failure, right? But you need to do it fast. So there's got to be some level of innovation, creativity, movement, traction, ability to give feedback, accountability, all the things we're talking about in culture. Fail fast, fail forward would be my advice because it really encapsulates all of that very well. Again, Andrew Adeni, an IU Kelly School of Business alum and author of the book, The Circle of Leadership, a framework for creating and leveraging culture available where books are sold. Be sure to check out his website uh, for any updates um, on, on where he is and how to get a hold of him. Andrew, thank you so, so much for being our guest on the ROI podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.